Where did I park? Where did I park? Welcome to another journey in trying to find out where did I park. I'm your host Chris, better known as CP, and I'm here to park some of my thoughts and feelings so I can clear my head and get my life together. So here goes nothing. What a week it has been. I'm going to skip through last week's stuff because it's all been kind of leading up to this unfortunately. And if you didn't know or if you are just checking in, uh, my dad from episode 7, Frank Preston, uh, passed this week as a result of complications from the coronavirus or COVID-19. So it has been a a week of sorts. It's been about a month of sorts, to be honest with you. Um, so we've all just been trying to deal through it and deal with it. Uh, it's still pretty fresh. So I don't have a bunch of introspection and I don't have everything that I want to say yet. So that'll probably come next week. We'll see. But I did want to just explain how things happen and kind of talk through what we've been through in the last little bit. And then I want to leave on something way more positive and just way more exciting and way more insightful, which was uh, episode seven. The gift and the curse about having your first guest on is they can often be forgotten because early in the podcast game, you know, I'm not talking about professionally or anything, but early in the podcast game, you're pretty much uh, hazing your friends or your family. You're making them listen just so you can have one or two listeners or people just feel bad for you. So they pity you. But once you get this thing rolling, it can be kind of hard to catch up. So we're in the 40s now. So we're almost coming up on the year anniversary of Where Did I Park? And back when I was still trying to figure out how to push record and get things together, Father's Day came upon us and I thought it'd be a perfect time to interview my dad. And we did. And he was my first guest and uh, everything worked out well. And it was a good conversation. And I remember leaving that conversation thinking like, man, we could do this uh, every year or we could do this every Father's Day or you know, lo and behold, if anything ever happens, you know, at least we got him uh, captured and we have a really cool conversation we can always come back to. Definitely wasn't expecting the latter, but um, as the title of a few of my episodes were, so here we are. So we'll play that after I get done yapping just for a couple minutes. It won't even be that long. Um, we'll, again, we'll save some of those words for next week. But, um, for those of you who haven't heard it, just stay tuned and I'll put it at the end of this episode. But what I did want to say was just, it's been a lot. This disease has been pretty real. Uh, it's been pretty crazy. I remember when I first heard about it and it first started to get real, like I talked about with celebrities or basketball players, or it just got a little more than the usual thing that we focus on or the usual thing that we put our attention to. I remember seeing some of the symptoms being um, it could be worse for older people, people over like 65. Uh, it could be worse for people with respiratory issues. It could be worse for people with immune diseases. It could be 
worse for people with diabetes. And I was like, eh, Frank's diabetic, 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 diabetic. Uh, people in my family are diabetic. I don't know if using a CPAP at night help uh, accounts for respiratory, but I was like, oh man, you don't have to watch out for one of these things. And you know, you really just keep it moving. I wish we could pinpoint when it happened, how it happened. Was it a symptomatic carrier that was just coughing that he didn't worry about? Was it a was it an event? Was it um, church? Was it hanging out? Was it you know, just anybody? Or was it somebody that didn't show any signs that just gave him a high five or, you know, a hug or, you know, whatever, or just left something on something he touched. It's hard to, not even hard, it's impossible to figure out what it was. But um, he was already under the weather. And when you're older and when you're used to changing seasons and you're used to a little bug, you kind of, you don't panic over everything. And so in not panicking, he was noticing that he wasn't feeling any better. And, you know, we were all concerned, but nobody really knew that this was going to be what it was. And, you know, we were all looking for the signs that we're learning about, like fevers and all this stuff. And it seemed like the worst of them all came crashing down at once really quickly, really fast. And next thing you know, you know, we're calling for the ambulance and he's off to the hospital. And shortly being off into the hospital, he was going to ICU and everything happened really quickly and it got really serious, really fast. And, you know, it just became something a little more than we were used to. I mean, this is a person who has had diabetes as long as I've been alive almost. I think I was about four when he really got it. And so I watched himself prick his fingers every day and shoot himself up before meals and check sugar and all that stuff. Um, I got so used to it. I didn't realize diabetes was, I don't want to say bad, but I don't, I didn't realize how serious it could be like loss of limbs and, you know, leading to other things and definitely fatal. I didn't realize that just because I watched my dad just handle it with ease for so long. So seeing how these type of things could affect what was happening, it became ultimately more real. And when you hear that the lungs are affected and compromised, it became a lot more real. And the more conversations we had to have and the more information we had to get from the doctors, everything became a lot more real. When you see the statistics of African-Americans that get this and you see the statistics of people who uh, don't do well with it, it got a lot more real. And then when, you know, my sister can't get to the hospital and the doctor has to meet her out in the parking lot or we can't get anybody on hold for hours at a time, it becomes super real. And we're just sitting there waiting day after day to hear updates once a day, maybe once every other day. And we really had no contact with them. Things looked like they might turn around at one point. And I was worried about the false positive or that, that little climb uphill where you think everything's good and then they take that turn for the worse. Um, and they let us talk to him. Well, they let him listen to us talk to him on the phone at one point. And from there, it seems like things didn't go very well. So it almost seems like he was waiting to hear from us, as my sister said, or he needed to hear from us before um, he could get comfortable with 
uh, God taking him? We don't know. It sounds good, but um, it seems like that's what happened. We're not sure. We just know that things just didn't get very well. And the state of emergency and the state of supplies that are needed and the state of things that are happening got really real for us because these doctors are all so busy trying to save lives that they can't even get to a phone call. They can't meet anybody in a waiting room uh, to discuss what's happening. Um, we just get updates and then we fill my sister up with questions to bring back in there and she's got to ask them and she's got to provide us with updates. So it's just really like this. You're waiting your whole entire day for a 10 minute conversation. And five minutes of that is going to be an update and two minutes of that is going to be questions and three minutes of that is going to be them not knowing the answers but still willing to try and so i don't mean this to say that the doctors aren't doing a bad, a good job or anything like that i think that they're all facing some real stuff if you've looked at anything in the state of michigan it's crazy so there's a lot happening and it just got really real and at some point the doctors are just running out of things they can try without any progress the things like diabetes and, and breathing issues and lung control are really coming back to to bite at this point. And you're just wondering, you know, what can you do? Is there anything you can do? And honestly, there's not, 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 not. You just wait and wait for the next day to see what they're going to try and if you can try and if anything is going to work. And it might, but it might not work. And there's nothing you can do about it, but wait and wait till the next update. And the whole time you're just wondering, is he OK? Is he feeling any of this? Is he sedated? Is he gone already? And at one point, the doctors pretty much said, we're going to keep trying, but there's not a lot more that we can do that that will be humane. So, you know, we just had to kind of go with God at some point. And I think the reason that it was easier for me to accept that was because for like six days, they basically told us, wait till we call you, but it's pretty much over. So you spend six days waiting for a call and you don't get it one day. One day they tell you that, you know, some things are up, but some things are down. The more things came up, the constant reminder that the lungs weren't improving kept looming over us. So it was like, it's hard to get optimistic because you know some of the main things still aren't happening. So in these six days, you're having to plan for death, preparing for death, but also hoping that something pulls through. I know a lot of the time that I spent after the initial shock of it and the initial understanding and trying to get right with it was figuring out, you know, how am I going to tell how our we, me and my wife, going to tell our kids, how are we going to explain this? This is going to be their first real one. And that tied up so much of my thought and my being. It, I was consumed with it at one point. It was easier for me to make peace with losing him than it was for me to make peace with. I'm going to have to shake up some people's worlds by telling them. Uh, I appreciate my job, my uh, my team and my boss for looking out, being very compassionate. I know my mom died, and I've talked about this in uh, a couple of the other work episodes. Nothing there, really robotic, really stiff, or just being really jerks. And 
uh, I did not receive that. I received uh, really thoughtful care from uh, the people I work with. So I appreciated that just in telling them that things might not go the way I think they're going to go. But then even still waiting in that limbo, it's kind of like, well, I'll let you know when it happens. So, you know, we can enact bereavement leave. But until then, I got to keep showing up. And so it's kind of like this cloud looming over us. But so I spent a majority of those days figuring out, you know, how do we move on with life? What options do we have? Um, I've seen probably a handful of Facebook live funerals just in the past week because people can't travel. People can't go to the funeral homes. People can't go to churches. And it's like, man, my dad is part of this statistic. This sucks. I think that's the worst part about it. People have asked me if I plan to go to Michigan, but Michigan is a war zone right now. I've got three kids one baby, one four-year-old, and one almost eight-year-old, uh, and, a, and a wife, and trying to get up there into the war zone, into a quarantine situation, just to come back down and then have to re-quarantine myself. That's a lot. And that's how a lot of these things are getting passed from people attending churches and mass gatherings in the name of doing what's right. So I had to make the decision to do what's right and stay put. So I really just didn't feel like it was in my best interest and our best interest to bust our butt, to go through state lines, to go through all these checks, to either have to worry about random gas stations or worry about an airport or an airplane, worry about what rental, worry about what housing to get there to say goodbye to the body that I don't remember without any life in it. That just didn't make sense to me. And we all know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So why am I rushing this far and this hard to say goodbye to somebody who I honestly already felt got his transition somewhere in those six days? It felt like he was already gone. It felt like there was an absence and an emptiness. My hardest tears were during those six days. My strongest thoughts and reflections were during those six days. And you know, my sisters will get this, but the, the double rainbow that I saw on my run was in that six days. Um, the sunshine in the middle of the storm that I saw were in that six days. And it just didn't feel like that final moment was where I needed to be because I had already had my prayer. I had already had my peace and I already received my answer in those days. And so I used that to generate my peace moving forward and that just didn't lie with me uh with a body again going through seeing my mom and her body for those eight days as it went to end i felt every second of those and those images are long lasting and still burning in my head i mean she even got her 25 year pin for aka in that hospital room i mean I still remember the exact moment. I still remember what the doctor said. I still remember the, the final look. I still remember what everything looked like leading up to it. I still remember begging her body to begging her to stay in her body as she was leaving it. Being older now, being more mature, um, being a leader of my own household, I just don't feel like that 
same responsibility or that same image needed to come to me with this. I was able to make peace without it. And so that's why I made the decision um, not to try to um, force my way through this outbreak and through what's happening because the, the dad that I had and the dad that I knew was far removed from what's still there in that hospital room and eventually with that funeral home. So I was comfortable and I am with not being able to move. Now in a normal circumstance, all that is out the window, but with what's happening, it just doesn't seem right or smart. And so that's just not what's gonna happen. I think it overall, it just means that it sucks. I don't know a way in which this doesn't suck, but I do know a way where we can work to move forward. And I hope talking through this and seeing where we go from here can help spread some light and love um, and really just put a clock on this thing so we can get out of here and get him uh, remembered in the ways that he should be honored and remembered and move forward. So that's where I'm at. It's horrible to even think that we have to make these decisions about our own family members. But at the same time, you know, I've often tussled with the fact that I probably shouldn't have moved home right after school and taken that terrible job. Um, but I felt like my dad needed me there and I felt like my mom needed me there. I needed that time to kind of break down who we were as parents and children, strip everybody of their titles and built our friendship and our relationship back up so they could earn their roles as mom and dad. And I could earn my role as a son. And especially with that being the last two years of her life, it was important for me to be there. So it's hard for me to justify not coming back. But in coming back, those two years that I spent were a lot of suffering and a lot of pain and a lot of agony and a lot of anguish and a lot of sleepless nights on her part, a lot of venting, a lot of crying, a lot of silently watching her suffer in pain. And then when things got ultimately worse, you know, I found myself amongst others watching her physically pass away for like eight days and just praying for a miracle and being heartbroken when it didn't happen. And it just didn't seem realistic. And it seemed like a child who's who's lost his mother here. Although the circumstances seem way more like robbery, way more unfair way more disbelief because I'm older because I'm a man with my own family it feels more responsible it feels more mature it feels more lifelike so to speak it, it feels like I'm in a place to not accept it not love it not want it not like what's happening but be in a better place to handle what's coming and be the man of my house and the patriarch and my family to take that mantle and be ready to move forward and to be ready to lead and to be ready to represent what he's laid down for us. And so it's felt a little different. Um, that's why I've been so concerned with, you know, how do we talk to the boys about it and how do we make decisions from here? Because it feels more adult-like. I think his life was cut way too short. I know the Bible promises us three score and 10 and he got three score and 12. Um, but my mom didn't get three score at all. 
So I don't know. Um, it just doesn't seem fair. It seems short, but I guess in those six days that we waited for this to happen, um, or even in these three weeks total that we waited for it to happen, I found a way to find some peace. And I guess this is the peace that passes understanding. But I also don't want to make it seem like, oh, I'm all good and this is not affecting me. Like I told uh, my best friend, I said, therapy's going to be lit. Um, and maybe not just for myself, uh, but we'll see. I just think that I'm in a better place to move forward, not beyond, not around him, not past him like it never happened, but just move forward knowing that I've gained the tools and the knowledge and the love and respect and admiration for this man that I need to to uh, continue to live my life and be better. And that's kind of what I'm banking on. It's a very dynamic situation, so it's not like I'm ultimately saying uh, I'm good. I'm okay. So there's not much better than that, but it's also not much worse than that. I'm okay. I'm in an okay place. I'm doing okay. Um, keep checking because that could change. So I appreciate all the calls, the texts, the emails, the Facebook messages, the Instagram messages. Um, I appreciate everybody. Um, friends, family, line brothers, frat brothers, Masonic brothers, church members, just everybody. Um, everybody reaching out to each other, reaching out through each other, reaching out through my sisters and myself. I just thank you. So I thank everybody for their prayers and their concerns and just how everybody's dealing with it. This is a tough blow for a lot of people. He's a very impactful man and um, it just shows the goodness of his heart and the goodness of the lives that he touched extends far beyond that we could see, but God could see. And he's showing himself through my dad's legacy and through us. And so we're just all taking it in and receiving it and just taking our time to get through it. So we appreciate everybody and we're going to be all right. Not today, not tomorrow. We'll get there. Just keep checking on us and we'll make it happen. Uh, looks like I turned this into a whole episode just yapping, but I just appreciate everybody listening and I'm going to get to some uplift real quick. And then after that, I'm not going to close it out, but I'll just let uh, episode seven come on in and then we'll just have a good uh, walk down memory lane and we can all hear uh, my dad's voice at least one more time and then sometime next week i'll jump in with some thoughts that i'd probably want to say if we were able to memorialize him the way that uh, he should be and eventually will be but as for now um let's just hear the man so let's get to some uplift and then we'll hear so for uplift obviously we've only talked about one thing today and that's the loss of my dad. And it's probably all we need to talk about. And it's very easy to talk about all the bad things, just death in general, what this means, how do we move forward? Um, the government influence on coronavirus, the government response, just the sickness in general, what this means for the world, how are we gonna come back? Um, what this means for jobs? Like there's a bunch of stuff we could talk about. 
I don't want to talk about any of it. I'm I'm honestly ready for this thing to be over. And I know everybody else is too. And when it hits home like this, it hurts. Um, it hurts a lot. I know my sisters are hurting. I know I'm hurting. I know my nephew is hurting. Shout out to Kyle. Um, for everybody checking up and seeing where the family's at these days. Yes, Kyle is a rapper. He's the same little Kyle that we all remember, but he, uh, he's got bars now. And for the church folks, um, listen at your own, your own, uh, accord. You know, some of those bars, some of those bars are parental advisory, but they're still bars. At any rate, we're here and it hurts. And one thing that I've said to people who have gone through grief and loss, and one thing that I'll continue to say when you lose somebody like this and when it hurts like this, we will never forget. We will never forget the life that was lived, the 72 and a half years on earth, 41 of those, 41 and a half of those through GM, 40 plus years of children. We'll never forget those memories. We will never forget his legacy, his life. We will never forget who he was, but it won't always hurt this bad. Uh, we will turn this pain into laughter. We will turn this pain into positive memories. We will turn this pain into life lessons. Uh, we probably already have and just don't know it. Um, for one thing, I sound like him, so I can't escape him. And I hope that none of you try to escape him either. Just learn to put him in a respectful place where we can call on him for everything that was good and uh, adore him for everything that he gave to us and that we can give to others. So um, we'll never forget, but it will not always hurt this bad. So now let's listen to him one more time and let's go back to episode seven, a few minutes with Frank. And we'll be back next week with a few more minutes from Chris on Frank. Everybody be blessed. Anyways, uh, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to everybody out there. I uh, hope you had a good one. Uh, mine was pretty good, as you'll hear a little bit later. Uh, I just appreciate my family, and they hooked me up, and things that mattered to me worked. And uh, we just had a fun weekend. We had a good time with everybody, and we just enjoyed each other's company. I appreciate my wife and my sister for coming in and hooking us up, and obviously I appreciate the boys. Uh, they made it worth it. And I uh, ate too much, but that's what they make treadmills for. So we'll work it out. But uh, happy Father's Day. Speaking of which, my first guest is my dad. He was here to see the baby a couple weeks ago, but we ran out of time. So we didn't get to interview. In fact, he uh, texted me as he was boarding the flight and he was like, oh, shoot, we were supposed to do the podcast. So... I called him today and wished him Happy Father's Day, and we got it done. So most of this episode will be me talking to my dad and just asking him a few questions about fatherhood in general and how he went through some stuff and some of the lessons that he got from his dad uh, and passed down. So it's a fun little chat, and uh, I'm just able to talk to my dad for a few minutes, and I always appreciate that. So uh, without further ado, the first guest on the Where Did I Park podcast is Frank Preston. Hey. Hey. Happy Father's Day. Thank you, son. I appreciate that. What did you do today for Father's Day? 
Got up, went to church, came home, watched a little golf. My oldest daughter, your sister, made a nice dinner for me, and I'm watching the golf and chilling out. Was it a uh, gluten-free vegan dinner, or did you get to eat real stuff? Oh, she made real stuff. We had some uh, boneless pork ribs. She made a green bean casserole, and I had a salad. Oh, that's good. On my end, we um, we went to a breakfast spot and got some really big biscuits. And I got a new dad shirt since I had to get the new addition onto the shirt. And uh, I got some little trinkets from school and daycare. Um, one of them was a magnet that says dad rocks and it's like in the shape of a rock. Jace thinks it's his though. So uh, he gave it to me and then took it right back. That sounds like Jace, I tell you. Right. On that subject, while I have you there, um, do you remember any of the gifts that we got you uh, when we were growing up? Uh, a few things. I still have some of them, as a matter of fact. There's a rock that says Dad, uh -huh. painted green. There's a, a, what do I want to call it? A little man on skis made out of a clothespin, some popsicle sticks, and some toothpicks. <laughs> okay. So I still have a couple of those things uh, sitting around in my little uh, cubby in the office. So I guess those are the best of the best. Yeah, and there's one that says Dad is in like a wood block. So, yeah, I've kept them for a long time, had them in the office at work, uh, got them in the office at home. So they're kind of special to me. Also, some pipe uh, cleaner and clothespin people and some kind of thing that looks like a fish <laughs> made out of paper mache. Uh-huh. Do you remember any of the, the ones that didn't make it? Any of the worst ones? Uh, I tell you, no. The best, the ones I kept are here, and those are the ones I remember. So why do you think that uh, Father's Day, the dads get uh, smaller gifts like that, little trinkets, where everybody goes all out for Mother's Day? Uh, it's kind of the way the myth has been exploded and exploited. The mothers do all the work. The dads just provide the impetus. Uh, Mother's Day comes first, so it gets a lot more traction. And I think half the time the dads really aren't expecting anything, so uh, there's no reason to make a big deal out of it. It's like you say, right. you can't get a seat on Mother's Day at a restaurant. In fact, some people are probably still waiting in line for their Mother's Day reservations. But, Father's Day, they said, come on in, the water's fine. That's true. We had to wait about 20, 25 minutes for our spot today, but it's a popular breakfast spot and it's really small. So the, the big wait was um, trying to fit in the, the building versus the actual uh, service. Because once we got in there, the food came right out. Yeah, no doubt. So that that's really the, the issue is Mother's Day, uh, it's a big deal. Father's Day, hey. And mothers are generally always there. Dads are not always there. Fair enough. So just some general questions that I've probably never asked you, but um, it'd be good to answer. In terms of 
fatherhood? What's the best part about it? Wow, that's a, that's a deep question. Uh, I guess the best part about uh, fatherhood is uh, that you got the kids. Uh, they're yours, they're special, and you can't buy them, you can't change them. And if they act like you, you can't deny it. I think, I think that's really the best part about it is uh, you love your kids and uh, you hope they love you back. That's fair. So now that you're a, a grandfather uh, four times over, uh, what do you think the best part about being a grandfather is and what are the differences? Uh, the best part about being a grandfather is it's kind of a legacy thing. You can look and say what I did carried on. That's, that's always a good thing. Uh, differences, you don't have nearly the worries. It's like with your latest one, when he was born, I said, I'll be down there in a couple of weeks. When you were born, it was mm. day one, diaper, diaper, diaper. And right. the, same, the same with the others. It's a different level of responsibility. Uh, the grandparent thing is more of a pride and uh, look at what look at what is carrying on as opposed to these are my children. I really got to take care of. Right. And well, you said when I was born, your dad came up for a day or two to, to make sure he saw me kind of like in the same light that you did. Yeah. Well, his his thought was that was his first grandson. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so he wanted to see that boy. But that was the pride thing. There he had somebody named Preston. And uh, he didn't know what was going to happen with the girls, but he said, I got that boy. And, that was the that was the yeah. old uh, the old adage from from those days. And I, but for me, it's like any of any of the grandkids are good. Uh, we have only boys, but uh, girls would be no different. Right. My dad was strange like that. Uh, when uh, Ashley was born, he wasn't going to come up to see her. Uh, and when he first met Ashley was when we took her to Kansas City. And then he couldn't get enough. But, right. But that was Burl Senior. That's how he did things. So obviously one of the, the biggest things that I remember um, from growing up was just your your ability to be there at a lot of stuff. Um, and obviously in Michigan, you work um, an hour away, 30 minutes away. Uh, depending on where you're at, it was always a um, some traffic or some time on the road, but you still found time to be at all the sports games and everything like that. Where did that come from? I just felt it was important. Uh, that's how you support your kids. Uh, that's, that's what you did. Uh, I didn't get that from anybody. Dad tried to be where he was and he did a lot of coaching for me in baseball when I was playing baseball. But I just felt like it's important that if you guys were doing something, I needed to be there. So I made arrangements or drove a while or flew back or whatever I had to do to uh, help support you. It's just how I felt. And um, on that same token, what do you think uh, you appreciate the most from what your dad gave you or what your dad said to you 
Uh, what did you appreciate the most from your upbringing? Yeah, what I appreciated the most was, uh, it's hard to put into words, but he was really, really proud uh, of his kids. Uh, sometimes to the point of uh, braggadocio that didn't need to be there. But uh, I guess what I got from him was that you all were mine and my responsibility and that I should be totally involved as much as I could in taking care of you. So if I learned anything, it was that these are your kids and you've got to take care of them. And you've got to be a part of their lives. Did you see the um, the special When They See Us yet about the Central Park Five? Uh, no, I have not seen it. I have not seen it. It was uh, it was pretty deep. One of the parts that was uh, was real deep about it was uh, the involvement of the parents, and you know, in their interest of what they knew, uh, they were just trying to help their kids kind of get through it and get over with, and they ended up giving them some uh, bad advice or the guidance or the direction to go ahead and turn themselves in and admit that they did it and it ended up hurting them in the long run uh, but they were doing what they felt was best for them at the time i guess how do you handle situations where you feel um, you're just like trying to do the best thing you can like what about adversity what what are your best uh best and worst strategies that you deal with adversity well, I always think that you got to deal with what's real and what's not real. You got to say, if this is the truth, you deal with it and you have to deal with it, whether it's good or bad. If it's bad, you have to try to make the best of it. If it's good, you uh, don't take any stuff. I, I recall back, do you remember uh, getting stopped by the police? in your Saturn? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, there they stopped you because somebody's house had been broken into and they came up with all kinds of uh, reasons why they stopped you. Uh, when in essence, the house is broken into by a Chinese guy in a white Corolla, but you were a black kid in a dark uh, Saturn and they felt like stopping. If you remember, I went to the police station and raised a whole bunch of sand about that. Yeah, I definitely remember that. Because I'm not gonna have my kid accused of something that they didn't do. So mm -hmm. uh, I guess that's how I try to handle the adversity. If you had done it, I'd have been on your case. <laughs> but right. if you hadn't done it, I'm gonna be on them. Get out of my stuff. Don't be messing with my kids. Right. So not necessarily in it, in that example, but is there anything that still sticks with you that you felt you would have done differently? Maybe not specific examples, but... Oh, yeah, uh, there's things. I could have been more patient. I could have listened more. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes uh, you get to the point where you think that, hey, I'm the dad, I know the way to do things. And in retrospect, while that's probably 92.7% correct, I probably missed, <laughs> missed the other 7.3%. Right. But yeah, that would be, those would be things that I would maybe try to do differently. So on that same token, how did you 
know when you're doing the right thing or that you feel like you're doing a good job? Was there ever a moment where, you know, after we went to bed and, you know, you were having a moment to reflect, you were like, yeah, I'm pretty good at this. I'm doing okay. Sometimes. And there were also times that uh, me and your mom would sit up and talk and say, I don't know if we did that right. Right. But I think you got to look back. I think you have to do that. No matter what the situation is, you can't say, ah, I'm just so good at this. I know I handled it right. Mm-hmm. I think you always have to reflect and uh, think, uh, did I really do the best I could? So, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know that there's any specific thing I could say. And I guess there would be. I say, I wish I had done this good. Yeah, that did, that did, that did happen sometimes. You say, dang, I wish I had done this differently. I wish I had just uh, been a little more patient or listened a little more or done something. And if you don't ever reflect that, uh, uh, you become like some of our autocratic leaders. I'm not going to go any further. So do you think a lot of that stuff happened um, like early on in our childhood or uh, more so later on as we were getting up and getting out of the house? Um, that's hard to say. A lot of it happened early because of the uh, adage from the dad and the adage, uh, you know, you got to make sure things are right in your household. Uh, I think I learned a little bit along the way. I don't I'd ask you, what did you think? Uh, what What did I think about? Uh, did I Did I get better as I got older? I think you got more patient as you got older. Um, yeah, I think so too. That's what I'm saying. I, I learned uh, a little bit early and uh, pretty autocratic, and this is this is the way to do things. And uh, after a right. while, you know, I, there's I, no good book on. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think um, I blame a lot of that on the industry. Um, once I started working and seeing what how uh, manufacturing worked and just how um, corporate America works and given, you know, where you were at with what kind of companies you were with and given the attitudes of the people that I dealt with in those type of companies, it was kind of, um, you know, you can kind of see how that that happened and for you to reach the levels that you reached, um, you probably had to be that way, especially uh, yeah, learn you know, as, as a black male too. Learn so. to yeah, you learn to be tough, but uh, you also have to learn that that's not the only way to do things. I think that's what I had to learn. Right. It's one, you can be one way at work. And it's hard not to bring some of that yeah. stuff home. And it's hard you. not to, you know, you're there 12 hours a day and uh, you walk in the door. You know, one of the good things for me, I think, was working in Flint because I, I had an hour to chill out on the way home. But yeah, that's true. It happens, though. Um, I think, though, you could definitely tell as you got closer to retirement and um, then in just the last few years, especially with everything going on with mom and then with, uh, I don't know, I think at some point you just look up and some of this stuff is already figured out. And then since you were traveling so much, you didn't have to necessarily be in the office nine to five or six to six. So um, there wasn't as much stress. I mean, we still cause stress because, you know, we were teenagers and young adults trying to figure out life. And- yeah, but that, that's, that's the big, 
that's to be expected. You know, all of us forget just how bad we were when we were the same age our kids were. <laughs> you know, there uh, we we tend to forget that for a little while that we were raising a little bit of cane and acting a little bit of a fool and uh, everything else. Uh, then we look at our kids do it and we say, whoa, we kind of forget we did the same types of things. <laughs> One more thing, I'm getting ready to wrap up, but a few years ago, we went to the uh, Lions game for Thanksgiving. And uh, I'll get your opinion on this. Did you think that our car really got uh, stolen or did you remember that it was on the other side? I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> at first, I thought, at first, I was so sure we were in the right place. I really thought it was gone. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> but I'm no good at finding my car anyway. Yeah, I know sometimes there was a time once I went up to see my cousin play basketball at uh, in, in the uh, state uh, championships. And we were at University of Kansas in Fog Allen Fieldhouse. It's a totally symmetrical building. And I forgot which door I mm -hmm. came out of. And then I just said, I don't know where I am. I had to walk around outside of the whole field house to find my car. Mm. But down there at the Lions game, I thought we knew where we were at. Right. <laughs> so it's it's safe to say that uh, I got my lack of direction and horrible parking skills from you. Uh, somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> um, on that note, though, um, what are some things you think you picked up from your dad and when did you realize them? Well, I picked up uh, an over, overwhelming confidence that I didn't realize I was getting. I was a very shy little kid. And being a short, portly little kid, to put it nicely, uh, right. I had some, and, and being halfway smart too, you know, created some difficulty among the peer, the peer group. But I think the thing that my dad taught me was that be proud of who you are and work as hard as you can. And uh, I think those were the things that I didn't realize it then, but uh, I realized it later that when he was pushing me out there on the baseball field or giving me a, I got a whipping one time for getting a C because I got my first C and I think about the sixth grade or something. Mm, I'm glad you didn't bring that. And I know, but that's what I learned. Uh, but what I learned from him was he wanted me to do the best I could. And uh, mm -hmm. the C was so out of character at that time because it wasn't like there were subjects that I didn't know. It was because I scheduled myself out of class at geography time to do uh, parole with the little kids at the school because I didn't like Jack be anyway. <laughs> right. So, you know, uh, that, it just happened. Uh, I was, I could schedule my own schedule. I always took the early shift to get the kindergartners home at geography time. But I guess that's what I learned is, uh, and then the other thing is, old man worked very hard. And so he used every bit of what he had to uh, get where he was going. And so I couldn't do any less. <laughs> And I tried to pass that down right. as two. I think uh, on my end, I think I've picked up the, you know, the sense of loyalty and devotion to family and 
an attitude to try to make things work um, and try to be present if if nothing else at least be there and figuring it out from there uh, i think on the surface though uh, i'm starting to tell some bad jokes so i think i'm getting that from you and when i go on and on um i start to sound like you too i can kind of hear myself saying oh, oh man i sound like frank preston right now i would have liked an octave lower in my voice but i'm kind of in the middle so i i try to talk lower when I need to, but it doesn't always work. <laughs> well, you, you you get what you got. I can go low right. when I need to. I, well, I got computers to help me go low, so that's about it. Well, Dad, I appreciate you uh, jumping on here with me for this brief time. And um, again, happy Father's Day. And I've said it before, but before I go, um, since I didn't get you any rocks or anything this time, I would say that I've always appreciated um, as I've gotten older and met more people and seen more experiences and seen how other people have lived and grown up and what they've gone through. Uh, I've always appreciated the fact that I've never really had to go too far to find a role model or to find somebody to emulate at least good, bad or indifferent. So I appreciate you and I love you. Thank you so much, son. Don't know how good that makes me feel. I'm okay now. I, I went through it, came out the valley. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. So the story that you heard was uh, we went to the Lions game a few years ago for Thanksgiving, um, and we had prepaid for this parking deck that was supposed to be pretty close and cut down our walking distance. Um, and <laughs> all we had to do was go down like this little ramp and we'd basically get right to the stadium. So we go see the game and the game ends and we're walking back and then we walk up that ramp and we get to where our spot is and I'm like, Dad, our car's not here. And he's like, no, I think it's one up. So we went up to the next level and it wasn't there and I'm like, Dad, I think this car got stolen. And I was like, didn't we park here? And he was like, yeah, I think so. And so we're both looking at each other like, what happened? So like, we're looking around and we're asking anybody else, had they seen any cars over here or seen the car that we were driving? And we're thoroughly confused and we're like, I thought it said 3D, I thought we were in 3D. And I get the bright idea and I'm like, yeah, I think it's stolen. I think we got jacked. My dad is just looking at me like, I can't believe this, you know, all this time I've gone down here and now we're getting stolen. Like, it was weird. Plus, the food was cooking and, you know, it's Thanksgiving, so they're waiting on us to get back from the game so we can eat. So it's going to take all day if we got to report this stolen. So we go to the little uh, box at the end of each row that, you know, signals to the security or whatever, and we're like, yeah, our car got stolen. Uh, we need to call the police. Like, let's do this immediately. And the guy very nonchalantly is like, Are you sure you're in the right lot? And we're like, yeah, this is the right lot. We're on 3D. We walk down the ramp and go to the Lions game. And he's like, sir, uh, this is a twin lot. There's an identical one um, to the left. You must have went to the right. And we look at each other and we're like, Nah, that didn't happen. So we go down and we go up to the one on the left and sure enough, sitting there, 
cozy and comfy as our car waiting for us to turn it on and take it home. <laughs> so we were partly relieved that nothing happened, but we just both kind of looked at each other like, mm-hmm. we're never going to live this one down. So let him tell it. Um, that is the reason, and that's where uh, my terrible parking has uh, come from. So I guess at the end of the day, um, when I asked where did I park, the answer is in the other deck. <laughs> Anyways, um, thank you very much to my dad, Big Frank, for being the first guest on Where Did I Park podcast. I really appreciated talking to him. Um, I know he got choked up at the end, but that's just my dad. Uh, I love him. Uh, it's always good to talk to him. Wish we would have done it while he was here, but life catches up with you. Uh, speaking of which, before we get to that famous line, uh, let's get to some uplift. So as I touched on briefly talking to my dad, uh, I really appreciate all the times that he made it to all of my games, um, whether it was basketball, baseball, football, um, bowling, <laughs> whatever. Uh, and some of those things, uh, I rode the bench, but he was there. Um, and he'd be driving from hours away to get there. Uh, he was even there when I umpired. So he would be <laughs> watching me behind the plate and making sure I called the right balls and strikes. But his presence said anything more than his words could. Uh, sometimes those words were harsh or sometimes those words were, you know, constructive on what I could have done better or what would have been more helpful. But the fact that he was there spoke uh, volumes over anything that I could imagine uh, and I just appreciated him there. And so for this section of Uplift, I just think about the uh, team that Jackson was just on and the different sports he plays and the roles that the parents have. And you see parents uh, running up to the plate or running on the court with their cameras hoping to get that moment uh, where their son or daughter uh, makes the winning shot or does something well just so they can be proud of him and play it back and brag on their kid. Uh, back in the day with the old school camcorders, um, you couldn't necessarily cut and edit and you couldn't necessarily stop once your kid got done. So you kind of had to get the whole game. So I have much more embarrassing footage than I need and that I care to look back into. But it's all in getting that moment just to relive it and just to be proud about the fact that you were there. So if there's any piece of advice or any uplift I could give today is uh, just be present uh, on Father's Day. Um, just be present to somebody that matters, whether it's a son or whether it's a daughter or a niece, a nephew or friend or somebody in your big brothers, big sisters organization. Uh, just be present because the present is going to do a lot more than any words or any donation or any type of money or any type of uh, physical gift could bring. So just be present and enjoy the moment and uh, just enjoy on Father's Day what it means to be a role model or be involved in somebody's life. And lastly, to the fathers of Kai, Caitlin, Kalani, Brianka, Sebastian, Penelope, Jasmine, Precious, DJ, Emery, Jackson, Jace, Drew, Morgan, Lil E, Tyler, Talon, Sydney, Noah, Bean, Amori, Colt, Axel, Dash, Knox, Ayana, Leo, Jace, Kendall, Matisse, Tiana, Robert, Logan, 
Young 21, Braylon, Chase, Jada, Jaden, Malcolm, Miles, Manning, Jordan, London, Tori, Aaliyah, Sanaya, and CJ. Whew. I say, happy Father's Day. Continue to be great examples. Life comes at you fast. I'm just trying to keep up with yesterday. But I'll be back soon to unload some more of the good, bad, and ugly. I hope you'll join me again because I and my dad are going to need some help trying to find out where did I park. park, park.